So, you made it. A little bit of ice, but let me ask you, would you do me a favor? If you are attempting to, notice how I put that, attempting to, read through the Bible with us this year, would you just raise your hand and say, yeah, I'm giving it a shot. Great, that's great. I'm so excited. That's very cool. A tough week reading. Uh, we're going through Leviticus, and Leviticus can be a difficult book. That's why we add a psalm with every reading, because you go through Leviticus, you read two or three chapters of Leviticus, and you're going, what's this all about? Why, why all the details? I don't understand this. Does it make sense? And then you get to the psalm, you go, ah, you know. Anyway, you're going to be through Leviticus uh, this week, so hang in there, because we get to some good stuff, and it's, it's all good, but... It's just, and we'll see kind of how Leviticus fits in this morning a little bit. Let's just review where we've been. We've, we ended the book of Genesis, and we had a family of around 70. They moved into Egypt. They were guests. Uh, they were a, a small family. Uh, 400 years passes from the end of Genesis to the beginning of, 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 of Exodus. And now in Exodus, the people of Israel are not a family of 70, but they're a nation of around 2 million people. They're no longer guests, they're slaves. And they're crying out to God. And, and God hears their cries. And God remembers the promise that he made to Moses in Genesis 15 or 12, where he says to Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I, I'm going to give you more children than you can count, more than the stars of the sky, the sand on the seashore. And um, I am going to bless those, uh, those that bless you. I'm going to curse those that curse you. And you... Abraham are going to be a blessing to all the nations of the world, all the peoples of the world. And so God hears their cry. He remembers the promise that he made to Abraham, and he raises up a new leader. And this new leader is Moses. And uh, interesting, Moses was born a Hebrew, but he was raised in an Egyptian house. Not just in an Egyptian house, but he was raised in an Egyptian palace. And as as Moses grows up, he, as a, a, a young man, murders another man and has to flee from Egypt. He spends 40 years in the wilderness. 40 years in the wilderness. Some of you maybe you feel like that's the phase you're in right now with God. What God, what are you doing in my life? You know, what's happening here? What's, what's going on in my life? And it may be that God is, is preparing you for the next stage. And frankly, 40 years in the wilderness with, with taking care of animals, it's going to prepare him great for what he's going to have to do, because he's going to have to be a shepherd, not for sheep, but he's going to be a shepherd for the nation of Israel as he leads them through the wilderness. And so God is preparing a man for the task. Now, in, in, in the midst of this, and Mark got into this last week, he, we talked about Moses coming to this bush, and it was on fire, but it wasn't consumed. And out of the bush, God calls Moses, and he says, you need to go down to Egypt, you need to tell Pharaoh, let my people go, and, and Moses was, you know, I can't do this, I'm not good, I can't talk, you know, all these other things. But he finally goes down, and he, and he goes down, and then we see the plagues. Mark talked about the plagues last week. And um, we said, well, what were the purpose of the plagues? Well, one was to judge sin, and that's true. Uh, another one was to show Pharaoh and the people of Egypt that he is God. But I think the most important, because, you know, as I was reading through, and I've been reading through Exodus and through the years, I often had a question. I said, why ten plagues? Why not just one? Let's just do one big one and get it over with. You know, a nuclear plague, boom, there it is. You know, you, yeah, I'm God, that's it. But here's what's going on. 
And I, and I think it's pretty significant because this is going to play out through the rest of the book, of the, well, through Exodus and through Leviticus and through Numbers, you're going to see this theme reoccurring. The people of Israel have spent 400 years. What culture have they been learning? Egyptian. What gods have they heard about? The Egyptian gods. Now, our nation, America, is just a little over 200 years old, old right? And, and you say, 200 years? We don't remember like 50 years ago, let alone 200. But we have a culture that is totally, we are Americans. We're, we grew up in this culture, and we've just adopted this culture, right? And so now we have, we have a, a, a people who have picked up this culture, and they picked up the gods of this culture. So one by one, each plague, God uses each plague, and he, he says, I'm God over this God. I'm God over this God. I'm God over this God. So each plague, what God is doing, he's saying, and by the way, let me just, so you understand what the, what the whole God's thing is, because that's kind of odd for us. In that day and age, the people, when, when you know, they were wanting rain or they wanted their, their animals to be fertile and stuff like that, they were crying out to the gods. They were asking God, to, you know, farmers do that today. We pray for rain, don't we? We pray that our animals will be safe and all that stuff. Well, they were doing the same thing, but they had a focused object that they would use to focus that God of that particular thing, whether it's fertility or for rain or whatever it was. So what, so what God was doing through these plagues is he was showing the people of Israel, then I'm God over this. 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 In fact, I'm God over all. I am the only God. And, 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 and he had to, to, to show them, kind of give them a 101 course on who he was. Why? Because he's going to lead them out into the wilderness and they're going to have to learn to trust him because he's going to be the one that's going to provide them food and water and protection. And so they have to have a God they can trust, a God they can believe in. Hey, they're no different than us. What do we look to God for? We look to God for security. We look for God to supply. We look for God for healing. We look for God to take care of us, right, to watch over us. The people in that day were no different than we are. And so God uses these plagues one by one to show that he is God over all the gods. I believe that's what God was doing, and that's why there were ten plagues. Now, interestingly enough, God leads his people in a very interesting way. He does it by a cloud during the day and by a flame of fire at night. And when the cloud or the fire moves, they move. That was just how God moved them around. And um, now, so they're now out in the wilderness. They have this new leader, Moses, who's learned how to lead sheep. But now he's going to learn how to lead people. <laughs> and, and maybe sheep, maybe Moses at many times says, you know, the sheep are a lot easier than these people are. <laughs> because what do they do? They begin to complain. And as you read through Exodus, you saw that they first they complain about, what do they complain about? They complain about water. They complain about food. And God gives them water. And God gives them food. In fact, they complain about, they complain about food one day, and, God, and, and uh, God gives them quail. I mean, he gives them so much quail. There's, it's stacked. They, they can't, it's like you, you, need, you want some meat. No, I've got quail. I've had enough quail. You know? and, and the thing about quail is this. I almost think that God was trying to gag them. He's saying, you want meat? I'll give you meat. I'll give you so much meat, you'll never want to have another bite of meat in your life. And, and then he gives them manna. And, and they go out in the morning, and they get all the instructions on how they're to gather the manna and how to keep it and how it will spoil and all that. They go out and they get it, and they go, what is it? And, and, and that's what manna means. What is it? Because they didn't know what it was. I think it was elephant ears, though. And it was probably really good. But uh, any, anyway, the point is, they ate the manna. And uh, they, we're going to see next week how they get tired of the manna. And they complain about that. 
Uh, we never do that, though. I know, we never complain about what is set before us at the table, but uh, the people in that day did. So that's a quick review, all right? So here we are this weekend, and the people of Israel are led by the cloud, led by the fire, to the base of a mountain, Mount Sinai. And they're going to spend about a year at Mount Sinai. In fact, there's, um, from Exodus chapter 19 through Numbers chapter 10, that's 58 chapters, they're going to be at Sinai, at Mount Sinai. And, and Moses is going to get the law and the covenant, and we're going to talk about the covenant and the law this uh, weekend and uh, find out what, that, what the implications are. But what I want to do is I want to begin reading in Exodus 19. Now, if you are reading through Exodus, you, re- you read and you, fu- you came to a passage that says, oh, I know this, I, I've heard it, because t- Exodus 20 is Ten Commandments. But you, maybe you just skipped over uh, chapter 19. It's pretty important because what is happening in chapter 19 is Moses is giving the people of Israel the covenant that God gave to them. And a covenant, think of a covenant as just an agreement that God makes. It's, uh, it's really a contract between two people where uh, each person says, I will do this if you do this. Okay, I'll do this if you do this. And they have covenant stipulations and uh, There's a penalty if you break the covenant and all this. We're going to talk more about that. But let's read that. It's Exodus 19, verse 3. And if you want to look in the chair Bible, you can read it. It's uh, on page 58. I want to read it here uh, to you right now. It says this. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called him uh, to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob. And what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt. And how I carried you on eagles' wings. And brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully. And keep my covenant. Then out of all the nations. You will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine. You will be for me. A kingdom of priests. And a holy nation. These are the words. That you are to speak to the Israelites. Now, so God says, I'm choosing you over all the other nations. Now, in another portion of the Old Testament, it says, why did God choose you? Because you're the greatest nation? Because you're the most righteous. No, he chose you because he chose you. <laughs> it was just, it was his choice. And we don't know why. But he did. And he chose them for a purpose, that they were to be a kingdom of priests. They were to be witnesses. They were to show that their God was over all the other gods. That their, their God made a difference in their lives and how they treated one another and how they lived their lives. Now, they kind of failed in that task, just as we do today as Christians. But here's the point. We see the covenant, the Mosaic covenant, that God makes an agreement or a covenant with Moses and the nation of Israel. And, and the point of the covenant is that they would be a special people, that they would be his covenant people, that they would be a kingdom of priests, that they would be witnesses to the world. And the covenant had stipulations. It, it was like, you do this and I'll do this. And God's saying, I will love you. I will protect you. I will care for you. But you need to do these things. So what are the things that God calls them to do? Well, that's when you get to Genesis, or excuse me, Exodus chapter 20. Because you see what God is calling the people to do. Notice Exodus 20. You just go over a page to page 59. And it says this. God spoke all these words. Uh, I, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven, above the earth, or beneath the waters below. And he goes on to list the Ten Commandments. 
the first portion of the Ten Commandments are about how the people of Israel are to relate to God. The, the last part were how they were to relate to one another. Remember, they're going out. This is like two million people going out into the wilderness. They have to have a way to manage their relationships with one another. In fact, uh, as you continue reading, you say, man, it gets down to pretty um, minute details. Like, for instance, in Exodus twenty-two fourteen, it says, if a man borrows an animal from his neighbor and it is injured or it dies while the owner is not present, he must make restitution. And what's going on here is that the, the stipulations of this covenant that God, this agreement that God is making with his people is this. He's saying, this is how you are to manage your relationships with each other, how you're not to steal, how you're not to covet, and how if this happens, this is how you handle it. And, and so it's giving them a kind of a judicial way or a civil way to deal with each other. Uh, kind of laws. The other thing it does is uh, there's instructions that go on that, that explain how they're to relate to uh, God. And, and he gives instructions for how to tabernacle. Now, what was the tabernacle? The tabernacle was just a tent. And it was a place that was holy. It was a place that was set apart. It was in the middle of the camp. And all the tribes of Israel would camp around the tabernacle. And they would face towards the tabernacle. And so when they walked out of their tent every morning, the, the, what they would see is the tabernacle. They would see, and, the, and what was the tabernacle? The tabernacle represented, and it was, the place where God dwelt with his people. So when they walked out, the first thing they would see is God is the center of the camp. And the idea was for them to say, not only is God, God the center of the camp, he's the center of my life. He's my provider. He's my sustainer. He's everything. And so that was the point of the tabernacle that God, and, and, and again, the whole theme of the scripture, what we're looking at is God desires to be with us. And so God was going to be with his people, but at arm's length, because only the high priest could go into the holy place and only once a year to offer on the day of atonement, as we'll see as we move through scripture. But the point I want you to see here is God gives the covenant stipulations, what are they? The Ten Commandments and the other laws there and how they're to treat one another, how they're to behave, how they're to, to uh, uh, deal with situations that come up, and then how they're to relate to God. And so a lot of instruction is given in how this tabernacle is supposed to be made, you know, what the materials are, what the metals are. What, and then you get to Leviticus and you go, they're describing all these materials. They're describing kind of these, these brackets and, and, and hardware and the priest's clothing and that. What's that all about? It's preparing the people for how they're going to deal with God and how God is going to be their guest, but how he must be an honored guest and how he must be a feared guest and worshipped and, and, and holy. And, and, and so Leviticus is very specific about how things are going to be. And that's why it gets a little tedious. But it all really comes down to that whole tabernacle worship sacrifice system that if they're going to approach God, they're going to have to do it. Now, we'll talk more about why they have to have the sacrifices. So the people come, the covenant is made, the stipulations are laid out, and here's what the people say. Exodus 24, verse 7. Then he took, and this is Moses, he took the book of the covenant and he read it to the people. And they responded, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. Now, come on. You already know they're not going to be able to do this, right? I mean, isn't it obvious? I mean, you know enough of Scripture to go, yeah, it's good intentions, but it's not going to happen. And then it says this. Moses then took the blood 
and sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Now, that phrase, blood of the covenant, I want you to remember, blood of the covenant, blood of the covenant, because that's really significant. Now, here's what's going on here. <laughs> you, know, you go, okay, I get it. Now they're having this solemn moment where they're saying, we're going to keep the covenant. We won't break it. We're going to honor it. We, God's going to honor his part. We're going to do our part. We're going to keep the law. We're going to keep the covenant. And then Moses starts throwing blood on him. You go, okay, you lost me there with the blood sprinkling. What in the world is going on with that? Well, here's what's going on with that. Many times when a covenant, when an agreement was made, we would sign a contract, you know, or something like that. Um, here's what they're doing. They would, they would actually cut an animal sometimes, cut an animal in, in, in half, and they would make a, a path between it. And they, each party of the covenant that make an agreement, would walk between the animals or they would sprinkle blood. And the point was, if the animal was cut up, they would basically say, if I break this covenant, if I break this agreement, may the same thing that happened to this animal happen to me. Or if the blood is sprinkled, it, the, the, the idea was, if I break this covenant, may my blood be, be, be shed. In other words, this is a very serious, solemn thing. So when Moses sprinkles the blood on them, he's saying, if you break this covenant, you are going to there's going to be punishment. There's going to be judgment. It's not just going to be, oh, well, we'll let it go this time. That's the point that you need to see here. It's a very solemn thing. Notice uh, Moses is up on the mountain getting all this information. God says, those people are at it. They're building a calf. Right, I, I, I haven't even gotten down with with a, with a, with a covenant agreement yet, and they're they're building a calf. And I want to read you that portion of Genesis, or excuse me, Exodus thirty-two one. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down, probably been up on the mountain forty days, they gathered around Aaron and they said, "Come, make us gods who will go before us." As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Now let's go back. The reason I spent time laying a foundation is so you can understand what's going on here. You might be very quick to say, how could these people do this? Well, very simply this. Remember what we said about the education about the gods? They relied upon these gods. So they feel like they're out there. They haven't seen Moses for 40 days. They haven't heard from God in 40 days. They feel like they're sitting ducks. And they're saying, we need some help. We need some security. We need something to protect us. And you say, well, I would never do that. Oh, really? Let me ask you this. How do you, where do you feel more secure in your life? Do you feel more secure that you're, you're, you're going to be taken care of and you're, uh, you're going to be okay if you have uh, $10,000 in the bank or if you have nothing? You see, that's kind of what we're talking about, that whole idea of security. And so they feel like we're sitting ducks. Where is Moses? Is he ever going to come down? We haven't heard from him. We don't know what's going on. We've got to take things in our own hands. So they go and they build this calf. Now, you have to understand, the calf, they weren't worshiping the calf. The, the point of the calf was, it was a way, it was a portal. It was a way for the God to, to have his presence with them. That's what it was. They weren't bowing down to the calf. They were bowing down to the God that, the calf, that would ride the calf, so to speak. It is similar to what, what God was doing with the tabernacle that it represented his presence. But they were kind of taking things into their own hands, which was absolutely wrong to do that. You know, God knew. 
He knew the people were going to break the covenant. They would never be able to keep it. But that doesn't mean that God lowers the standard. That doesn't mean that, you know, that doesn't mean that God it just says, oh, we'll let it go. Or, you know, it wasn't that big of a deal. Maybe I was a little too hard. Maybe I should have made the covenant easy. No, no. It was exactly right. The weakness of the covenant was that no one could keep it. No one would be able to keep the covenant stipulations. People quickly broke the covenant. Now, if you had been there, you wouldn't have lasted any longer than anyone else. I've got to be honest with you. We would have broken covenant just as quickly. We would have been right there saying, Aaron, what are you waiting for? Let's get this thing going. We're sitting ducks out here. We would have panicked just like they did. But you know, the same thing's going on today, this weekend. There are people all over Dubuque. And they're saying, and, and they may not even know it, but they're just, they, they're programmed. Because if you were to say to them, if you were to die today and go to be with God in heaven, they said, I hope so. And if, if they, you were to say, well, if you were to die and, and go, to the, go, to he, go to the gate of heaven and God were to say, why should I let you? And you'd say, well, I believe in you and, 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 and I don't steal and I don't lie and I don't cheat. And, and what are they saying? I keep the covenant. I keep the Ten Commandments. Well, we keep our version of the Ten Commandments. Because there's, have you noticed this? There's certain commandments we keep, and we're, it's very natural for us. And then there's other ones that we, we if anybody are called us on it, we say, well, yeah, maybe I don't keep that one, but who does, you know? Or, you know, we make our own standards, really, when it comes down to it. But nobody keeps covenant. Nobody keeps the commandments. You see, the covenant's weakness in that day was them. The covenant's weakness in our day is us. Because we can't keep the covenant. We are born covenant breakers. Every one of us has sinned. And when we sin, we have broken the covenant. The problem is, when the covenant stipulations are broken, there has to be a penalty. Somebody has to pay the price. The blood that he sprinkles doesn't mean that, oh, well, we'll let it go. It means there's serious consequences when the law is broken. There is a punishment that follows. And God was aware of the weakness of the covenant. And he had a plan to overcome the weakness. And his plan was that his son would come and fulfill the covenant perfect. And that's what I want to talk about the rest of our time. The idea I want you to see this weekend is this. The weakness of the covenant was overcome by the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Here's the point I want you to see. Some of you, maybe, are working hard. You're trying to keep the covenant. But you can't. You'll never be good enough. You'll never live a life that's perfect. You're always going to fall short. The Bible says we've all fallen short. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We all have broken covenant. There's none of us that keeps uh, keeps covenant. Attempting to keep the Ten Commandments will never save anyone. It never has and it never will. And yet many people try to live to that standard and say, well, if I just can keep these commandments then I'm going to be, and we, we say, I have a resume, and here it is. I've kept the covenant. And God's going to say, no, you haven't. You see, only Jesus was able to perfectly keep the covenant for us. In fact, he took our covenant-breaking uh, penalty. He, it was Jesus who was cut in half. It was Jesus who, who, who shed his blood. He was the one who paid the price for our breaking of the covenant. We call this the substitutionary atonement. And that means that Jesus shed His blood, took our place 
because we sin. And because we sin. And because we need somebody to take our place. Because we need somebody who can keep the covenant perfect, which Jesus did. And not only did Jesus keep the covenant perfect, but he took the penalty of the covenant for everyone who will call upon Jesus as Savior. That's the gospel. He took the penalty of the covenant for the covenant breaker who will call upon Jesus. Isaiah puts it this way. He was pierced. And I believe that's talking about Jesus, the Messiah. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him. And by His wounds, we are healed. You see, Jesus fully kept the covenant. By taking the punishment for those who violated the covenant, He brought the ultimate exodus. You see, Moses brought an exodus. He brought the people out of Egypt, the bondage of Egypt. The bondage of slavery. Jesus brings us out of the bondage of sin. He is the one who is the ultimate, brings the ultimate exodus because he's the ultimate deliverer. God raised up a deliverer in Moses. Moses went down to set the people free. Jesus came down from heaven to earth to set us free from our sins. You should call him Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. Folks, you've got to stop trying to save yourselves. Most of the people that you work with, most of the people in your family that may not know Jesus are thinking, I'm going to save myself. I am going to be my own Savior and it will always fail because you can't keep the covenant. Can't. Jesus is the ultimate deliverer, the final Savior to those who will call out to Him. So my question is, I don't know where you're at with the Lord today. Have you ever trusted Jesus? Are you still trying your best to keep the covenant? Only as you allow Him to save you, to deliver you, will you find true freedom and forgiveness, purpose and meaning in your life. I don't know what I did with it. I lost it. There's a a little card. You know, the wall as you came in today, it asks a question, and I really want you to ask that question. Where are you at on your journey with Jesus? Where are you at in your journey with Jesus? We have the cards at the Connection Center. You can just pick one up and look at it and say, well, where am I? There's four, cat, four categories. Where are you at? Where are you at with Jesus? What, are you tr- what, what, is, what is going on in your relationship with Jesus Christ? Now, I want to make one more point. Now, remember we talked about, and I ask you to remember this. Uh, Moses basically, uh, he ratifies the covenant. And he sprinkles blood on the people. We will keep the covenant. We will keep the covenant. And he sprinkles blood on them, right? The blood of the covenant, right? That's what they, they called it, the blood of the covenant. Now let me read you from uh, Mark chapter 14. Jesus is having the Last Supper with his disciples, right? He's, he's sitting at the table, and he has the cup of wine, and he has the bread. And he says this to his disciples. The new covenant. He says this, he, Jesus, took the cup, he gave thanks, and he offered it to them, and they drank from it. And this is what he says, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Do you see what Jesus is doing here? He's going way back to Exodus chapter 19, chapter 20, these chapters we looked at, and he's saying, I am the ultimate 
deliverer. I am bringing the ultimate exodus. I am the one who is going to shed my blood. I am the one who kept the covenant perfectly. I'm the only one it ever could, and I'm the only one it ever has. And I'm going to shed my blood to pay the penalty for every covenant breaker who will call upon me. That's what he's saying here. He's saying, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. And then he says this, I tell you the truth. I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. So when Jesus breaks the cup, uh, breaks the bread and holds up the cup, he is saying that all the other deliverances, all the other sacrifices, all the other lambs at the Passover were pointing to himself. This is the way Isaiah puts it in Isaiah 53. The Lord has laid on him, I believe that's speaking of Jesus the Messiah, the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. He poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. Jesus' words here at, at the Last Supper at the table, his words mean that as a result of this, his substitutionary sacrifice, there is now a new covenant between God and us. And the basis of this relationship is Jesus' own blood. My blood of the covenant. When he announces that he will not eat or drink until he meets us in the kingdom of God, Jesus has promised that he, will, he is unconditionally committed to us. He is saying, I'm bringing you to, into the Father's arms and I'm going to bring you to the feast of the King. To all who will call upon me. That's what he's saying. Do you understand now why when you read the New Testament, it's so important to know the basis of what is being said and, and how important Exodus is? So you understand when Jesus says the blood of the covenant and you understand what the covenant was all about and you understand that we're covenant breakers and that, that one had to come, an ultimate deliverer, could keep the law perfectly, who could shed his blood and pay the price for all the covenant breakers who will call upon him. And that's what Jesus is saying. This cup represents my blood which will be shed. It should be your blood, but it won't be. It'll be my blood. And that's why the last words Jesus offered on the cross was, it is finished. It's paid. The covenant has been fulfilled. Have you called upon him? Do you know Jesus? If you don't, I'll just plead with you. Stop trying to save yourself. It'll never work. Call upon Jesus. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. Let's pray. Help us, Father. Help us to understand the power of your word, the power of the cross, the power of the sacrifice of Jesus for us. As we move into our communion time, Father, I pray that you'd help us to see the significance of the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus for us. He who knew no sin, he who never broke the covenant, took the penalty of everyone who did, who calls upon him. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.